1: Hey, her Hoop stats fans! Welcome to another episode of Her Hoop Stats Unplugged with Meg and Gower. It's been a crazy week in women's hoops. We've got WNBA free agency, Olympic qualifying tournaments wrapping up, and NCAA college hoops. Lots of upsets and losses of the top teams going on there. So, a definitely interesting week in women's basketball. I'm here today with our her Hoop stats team member Erin Barsley and our her stats team member Richard Cohen, who's new to the podcast podcast so welcome aboard Richard and how are you guys doing today?
2: Yep yeah, good.
3: Doing well hanging in it's been an exciting week in women's basketball.
1: Yes it has so WNBA free agency is officially underway or as I'll call it if I don't check my Twitter feed for two hours at work I'm in trouble <laughs> it's underway um, but yeah lots of crazy movements going on feels like the kind of whole scope of teams has changed dramatically in the last 48 hours or so so anyone have anything they want to kind of jump into there with relation to free agency.
3: Richard I'm curious what your thoughts are I mean I was definitely a little caught off guard you've probably followed uh, I'm guessing the WNBA certainly longer than me and I think probably Megan too so I'm curious like what were you surprised you know with maybe the first move which was Christy Tolliver?
2: The Tolliver move was was definitely the biggest, I think, the biggest shock of anything that's happened so far because, I mean, they won it all. They finally won it. It, She wanted to go there in the first place. So her going back to LA, having walked away from there after winning a title in Los Angeles, was was definitely a shock. Whereas some of the other moves were were big, but you'd kind of seen them coming from um, a month or two at least away.
3: Yeah, I wonder what the motivation was, right? Because she signed for the max that she could in L.A., right? But that's the same that Washington could have given her, correct?
2: Washington could have given her more. But I think part of the problem was that they didn't offer her everything that she felt she deserved. So as soon as that happens, she starts thinking, these guys don't value me as much as I should be valued and starts wondering where else she could go and play instead
3: right no let me put it this way i because uh, ben Dahl wrote a great write-up i don't know if he had a chance to read it uh he did not write that for us though it was on b-ball index uh but he pointed out that um he that the mystics had you know have to sign or had to sign uh deladan misman and uh Tolliver, and they did not have enough cap space to give them all the 215 that they were 215 right that they were qualified for um, so, like someone, I think, had to take. The, maybe it wasn't specifically her, but
2: like someone had to
3: take. Five was my.
2: Advice. Um, if they'd been willing to go with eleven players, at, they certainly could have all got all three very close. I think, I think Tolliver mostly was annoyed by the third year that she didn't get offered by Washington, or at least the third year they weren't going to guarantee. Because one thing we're seeing with this new CBA is that teams have to be more careful about planning for future years. You can't just sign all your your veteran players for the, the maximum amount that's available and then worry about the rest of it later because there won't be ways to get out of some of these deals. So you, ha- Mike Tebow has to be thinking, I've got Ariel Powers coming up who I'm going to have to sign, I've got Ariel Atkins coming up, I've got Natasha Cloud. And if he guarantees three years to Tolliver and three or four years to Deladon and the same to Miesemann, then he ends up not being able to sign these other players once they come off their rookie-scale contracts. So Tolliver felt like she should have been paid the full whack and he felt like he had to be careful in what he was going to have on the books for sort of 2022, 2021. And LA jumped in.
1: So yeah, that definitely makes sense. Uh, So how do you feel about LA now that they've signed Tolliver? Do you think they're kind of the favorite in the West or what are your thoughts on where they stand right now?
2: Well, they're definitely, they're dangerous, but given the strength of some of their opponents in the Western Conference, they're they're going to be amongst a bunch of favorites at the minute. Uh, And also, I mean, uh, they they still have to sign Chelsea Gray before we get too excited. She's a restricted free agent, so it's unlikely she's going to go anywhere. But given what we've seen all over the league in recent weeks, until someone's actually under contract, you can't take anything for granted.
3: Yeah, I was wondering about that. Why she's not uh, hasn't chosen to sign it yet? What what's her incentive to be waiting?
2: I mean, it could just be down to LA wanting to get all of their other pieces and work done beforehand and then you, you get her done final at the end because both sides know exactly what she's going to get. And really the only negotiating point is how many years it's for. We, we see this pretty much every year. There's usually someone who hangs around and hangs around and doesn't sign for, for months on end and everyone starts speculating about what's going on and then they just quietly sign at the end of free agency anyway and no one treats it like it was any kind of big deal.
3: Yeah, Megan and I were talking about that a little bit on a recent podcast, right, Megan? And, you know, in the in the NBA world, uh, you know, which I'm more familiar with the CBA, like there actually is an incentive for teams with all the different bird rules and that kind of stuff for um, teams and players to wait. It sort of lets, you know, a team like the Sparks go, high, go over the salary cap. But I don't think that's the case here. So I think it uh, is interesting, and I'm definitely going to be... Uh, you know, fascinated to see when that does happen and if it is just a nothing burger, uh, as people say. Uh, But that does remind me, right, that we're definitely still working on trying to document the CBA uh, in much more detail. We've got a lot of projects that we're working on here at Stats related to the WNBA and and sort of, you know, really kind of explaining the CBA in clear terms that can be a resource for everybody is high on my list of things we're working on.
1: Definitely. Yeah, kind of going back to... L.A. So, like we said, there's you know one of a few favorites in the West. I think another one that's made quite a bit of moves this week is Phoenix. Um, so they added uh, Skylar Diggins-Smith to their roster. There's rumors that Tina Charles is heading there. I don't know that that's anything's been finalized there yet. Unless I missed it on Twitter while it worked
2: today. Nope. <laughs> nope. All, all still rumor, conjecture, and maybe a snag here or there. And yeah.
1: So yeah, they're really kind of restocking there too. Uh, obviously, very solid backcourt with Dicken Smith and Diana Taurasi, and then if they add Tina Charles in the front court, along with Brittany Griner, another really strong front court. Even though they lost, they won a Bonner to the Sun. Uh, before we kind of jump over to this, sun, any thought, any more thoughts on Phoenix, wanted to offer. And Richard, related to
3: that, here's a question for you: When was the last time a team started a backcourt that neither team player really played the previous season? Do you think?
4: Oh,
2: yeah, hard to answer that without doing a lot of research. Uh, I'm sure it's happened, but yeah, you. There are still a lot of a lot of open questions in Phoenix. I mean, first of all, you've got to get Griner signed and uh, and play. And I mean, then if they if they'd want to get a Tina Charles trade done, if they can get New York to accept whatever they've got left, because they obviously gave up a lot of assets in the uh, Diggin Smith trade, so the list of things they have to offer is pretty short at this point for Charles. And even then, you've got Tarasi; you can't stay fit for more than two games in a row. You've got Diggin Smith, who looked fairly healthy playing for Team USA, but you don't know how she'll hold up, and how he'll, and whether she'll be fully fit from the start of the season at this point. Tina Charles was bad last season in New York, much as they want to kind of ignore that. So yeah, there'd, there'd still be a lot of question marks. They were the ninth best defense in the league out of twelve teams last season, despite Greiner being their... There to block everything when it gets to the rim, and they just traded away Bonner. They're probably going to have to give up beyond January if they make these moves. If the rest of, make the rest of these moves, so that makes their perimeter defense even worse. And yeah, you, you, you're unlikely to win a championship with a defense in the bottom three or four in the league. Yeah,
1: definitely a concern to see kind of how that plays out them Uh, and then so moving kind of back to Bonner who's now in Connecticut I think I don't know at least in my opinion probably makes Connecticut one of if not the favorite to win the title right now after you know a finals one finals run yesterday if they can re-sign Courtney Williams they like, kind of return a lot of those big players all those big players really from last year and then add Bonner to the front court as well I mean the front court of Daywana Bonner John Cole Jones and Alyssa Thomas is going to be really difficult I think for anyone else to compete with
3: Alyssa Thomas with uh two shoulders right
1: <laughs> yeah yeah assuming she has two functional shoulders she'll be even better than she was Despite the fact that uh, she was amazing with the injury this year, that
3: might be
2: their biggest free agent addition.
1: <laughs>
2: but has she actually had any surgery or any work done on? Because she's been playing in Europe almost yeah. from the moment that the season ended in in the US. So I would imagine she might be be starting a season just as injured as she was last year in terms of the shoulders.
1: Yeah, sounds like she might be. Um, so.
3: Not we don't need no stinking shoulders.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah, she seems she seems to do okay anyway. Yeah, about the free throw shooting, everything
2: else is fine.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. We'll say while you guys are chatting, I'll look up her free throw shooting and uh, <laughs> see if I can find that.
1: But yeah, I think one of the most interesting things about the Sun is you kind of got um, three front court players that kind of have a unique set of skills. where you have got. Bonner, who's kind of a unique skill set, and then Alyssa Thomas kind of does a little bit of everything for them. And then even John Cole Jones, who's a Im- really impressive center in the paint, but she also has a three-point shot. So very like wide range of skills and a very strong front court in general.
3: Are you feeling yeah, oh. as a Connecticut fan? Sorry.
1: <laughs> What'd you say?
3: Are you feeling confident as a Connecticut fan, Megan?
1: Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good as a Connecticut fan right now.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like they were the second-best team last year pretty clearly. And... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've just gotten better, right?
1: Yeah, assuming they re-sign Courtney Williams. I think that one's still up in the air. So I think that's a big piece of it as well. But if they return her as well, I think they're looking really good.
2: Yeah, I definitely think Bonner is an upgrade. I mean, she she just gives you a lot more options than someone like Strickland does in that she's more of a creative player. She can switch between three and four just like Alyssa Thomas can, so that gives them fluidity there and the only worry is i mean their bench was terrible last season their bench is completely unknown at the minute so if if they get injuries you don't know what's going to happen because they were really healthy last season apart from Thomas's shoulders which she played through anyway and yeah they're not deep so if one of those key, one of those key starters gets hurt then you don't know what's going to happen with this club.
1: Agreed. That's definitely a big piece of it. Um, yeah, they haven't signed much to the bench yet. I think it's just Brianna Jones and Nat- Natisha Heidemann. Um, but yeah, that'll be a big thing. If they can re-sign Strickland to come in off the bench, that would obviously be a huge ad for their bench, but it will that's still up in the air as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, yeah, and the,
2: st- the starting five is very expensive now, and we have... a much more complicated cap. So yeah, they're probably gonna have to fill out that bench with cheap players and young players, basically, because they're not gonna be able to do much else.
3: I think that's the trend, though. An interesting uh, conversation I had about, that I think is a really important change to the CBA, is that the max contract now, especially that 215 number, is a much higher percentage of the cap. Than yes it used to be. And so basically like a lot of people got the max cuz you just needed to to meet your requirements as far as the salary floor. Now I think there is going to be kind of a situation where you can't afford to give as many players the max and there will be a little bit more uh, variation in the salaries.
2: Yeah, it used to be around 40% of the league literally was either on the max or near the max salary which was right. ridiculous you were basically paying people on their rookie scale, or then once they came off, they either headed out of the league or were maxed out, um, and you you had virtually no middle class. With the way they've now changed it in the new CBA, you're you're creating some kind of stratification in the uh, in the salaries because you're going to have to decide who's worth what, and that might come back to bite some teams in future seasons because a lot of them have had a lot of catch space to work with this off season. But if you sign people to deals that they end up not being worth, you might be stuck in a year or two.
1: Yeah, definitely.
3: Do you guys think that's a good thing that um, there is more stratification?
2: I've certainly argued for it in previous years because it seemed ridiculous that someone like Tarassi was earning the same as I don't
3: know. <laughs> you don't have to name him, but I get the <laughs> but idea. But yeah, so,
2: somebody who's a very average starter or sort of sixth, seventh woman on in on a team was earning the same same salary, which just on a general level seems pretty ridiculous. I mean, if LeBron James was earning the same. Some guy who's coming off the bench for the whoever, for, yeah, whoever for the Grizzlies, then people would take issue with that. So, worth
3: noting, Richard, that uh, you are not uh, based in the United States. If our listeners couldn't figure that out yet, <laughs> I guess don't follow the NBA that close Oh, I do. I
2: just took me, yeah. took me a while to pluck a name out of the air, but uh. <laughs> But yeah, Lakers baby. But
3: yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely right. Yeah, if he if he was making the same as like Alex
2: Caruso or I was trying uh, to think of someone much worse than the Lakers. I needed a terrible (laughs) team to come up
4: with.
3: (laughs) That uh, gives me a a funny aside we can talk about later. But um, but yeah, no, I definitely think that you ultimately do want to be paying the people for performance. Agreed. By the way, I have looked it up here. Great uh, podcasting. Mm -hmm. It looks like. Elise Thomas is shooting 37 for 66 from the free throw line this year um, for uh, USK Praha in the Czech Republic. So that is 56.1%. Yeah,
1: not great, but also not too terrible for two broken shoulders.
3: (laughs) On 5.5 free throws a game in 32 minutes. I'm looking at her percentages in the
2: WNBA and amazingly – Six seasons in the league, her free throw percentage has dropped every single year. Started out at seventy six percent and has gone down every single season. Yeah. She was at 496 last year. Well, so she's improved. No.
3: No, in, uh, in uh, Europe. Oh, I see
2: what you mean. Did, yeah, got better in Prague. Yeah, very slightly.
3: Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, I got to believe the Connecticut, yeah, like I said, I got to believe they're the favorite. Who yeah. else do you think is, you know, I guess people are excited about the Aces, right?
1: Yeah, I was going to say that's, I think, the big blockbuster trade that we haven't hit on yet, which is Angel McCarthy going to the Aces. To me, I don't know, obviously their whole roster is just so stacked now, but it still doesn't solve. I think what the issue was last year is how do all those pieces fit together? And how do you get the people that need to get the most touches the most touches and that just doesn't I don't know that that solves that problem yet. Um, And are there enough balls left for them all to play with at this point? Yeah, exactly.
3: But a key question is going to be what kind of improvement um, do they get internally from like Wilson and Plum in particular,
1: right? Exactly. Yeah, Um, young superstars there.
2: Well, I mean, that's the other key question. Is Cambage actually going to show up? That's, That's for me is a question every pretty much every season given her history you you have to wonder i mean she's also not under contract yet she's another restricted free agent but given her history she might show up after the olympics might not show up at all who knows
1: yeah that's a good point as well they're a very different team if you don't have kim Beige there.
3: um Yeah, that would be amazing the players that like that that wouldn't show up till after the olympics i'm also always amazed at um when international players like i get it why you know diana taurasi sue bird everybody the WNBA is so important but it's true to in the united states but it also sort of strikes me like if you're not from the united states and you're earning more money in europe like why do you care at some level right yeah
1: i think it's It comes back to just like the W being widely recognized as the best league in the world. So even though it's not, you're not getting paid as much, which is a little sad, but anyway, um, that it's just like the recognition of being able to make a roster or be a star in the WNBA means a lot more, Uh, I guess, like.
3: Right, but like, Street I could just wise, sort of see I guess. yeah, example, right? Like, I could see why, like, Britney Griner would be really upset last year, but would ultimately, like, W would bring her back or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, pull her back in, but uh, you know, I wouldn't think it would have the same hold of Liz Cambage. I mean, obviously, she you know, there's a lot she likes, uh, and she has a lot of uh, clear interests, but I mean, she seems to, you know, when she's happy, be very good at enjoying life anywhere, so um. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I mean, if she can be engaged, right? She can be a real force. You know, the other team. What do you guys think about Seattle? Right, Stewart uh, signed today. Stewie. Yes. Stewie
1: signed today. Exciting! Excited to have her back Nellie, um, and healthy. I saw her uh, play at the USA game that was here. I don't
3: know. So. We could talk about that a little segue. We can uh, look to our next topic, but before yeah. we jump into that, I mean, I was super impressed with how Seattle played last year without her, right? And two birds and play on like. I mean, I think that if you had added them back last year, they would have totally contended for the title, right? And oh, yeah. the, and they won the championship 2018. So I don't think we should, just because Connecticut um, was sort of the number two team, and we think that Washington is weaker by losing Tolliver. You know, I don't think we should overlook Seattle.
1: Oh no, Seattle is definitely a contender as well. Um, obviously, that 2018 title. Where they've kind of got most of that you know team back with Stewie and Superd both supposedly being healthy um, so that's a big thing for them they also signed Morgan Tuck uh, over a trade from Connecticut which is a hmm. addition to their bench but also just a fun UConn connection they've got like four UConn players now so they've got quite the Connecticut contention over in Seattle
2: that might be a big part of why they signed her in the first place
1: exactly yeah I mean just to keep Stuart happy
2: hard. rather than because of how much she's actually going to help on the floor <laughs>
3: But, yeah, so did Stuart – so maybe, Megan, you can talk first about how Stuart looked to you in person, and then after that, uh, Richard, you can tell us a little more about what you thought um, when they were playing in the qualifier in Belgrade.
1: Yeah, so when I saw Stuart, it was her first game back, so, I mean – take it with a, everything with a grain of salt so her shooting was a little rusty and all that but I think she mo- was moving really well and she's ahead of schedule I believe for a Achilles injury recovery so I thought she moved really well on the floor and there was probably just a little bit of dust to shake off but thought she looked good uh, I have a feeling by the time W season rolls around in a couple months she'll be looking quite a bit like the MVP Stewie we saw a couple years ago
4: Yeah
2: I mean she looked she looked healthy playing for the US um, in the FIBA games. She's obviously she tends to play a slightly different role for Team USA because they have so few true small forwards on the team. They basically fit her in by sliding her into the 3, which she wouldn't she doesn't do as much in Seattle. So that requires her to move about a bit more than she does as a, more of a post in Seattle. And I think that would probably be even more comfortable for her once she gets her feet fully back under because it would be a more physical game rather than one that's reliant on her moving about and keeping up with uh, perimeter players. So, yeah, I think Stuart, I'm I'm expecting to see pretty much fully back. Bird didn't look great. And, yeah, I'm not sure what she's got left. I mean, we it feels like we've been worrying about that for so many years with Sue Bird that maybe we should just wait and until it finally happens. But, yeah, how much he's got left, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, well,
3: hopefully we'll all play. You know, one thing with Stuart, when Chris uh, wrote up his top uh, 50 WNBA players for us, I guess that was, let's take a look here at the date on this. It was in November, right after the season, uh, which was. I would definitely encourage our listeners to go back and read. You can just Google um you know WNBA top 50 i think will come up uh anyhow so he originally had Stewart up pretty high and i personally was wary uh, just based on her uh recovery and, and what she's going to be at this year versus next say right with like a whole year under her belt so he ended up rating her six do you think that she could be on the floor just based on her performance this upcoming season Uh, one of the top five uh, players in the WNBA? Do you think that six is about right or um, could it even be lower just because she's, you know, only 90% of her amazing self?
1: I mean, there's still some time, right? So like if she's already back on the floor, which puts her I think quite a bit ahead of schedule of what people would expect. She's got a couple months still to be at better health come the WNBA season. Um, I think the year that she won MVP, she was, you know, the clear MVP. So I don't think it's out of the question that she'll be a top five player this year.
2: You also wonder whether she might not be relied, op- relied upon quite as much in Seattle anymore, because while she was out for the year, Natasha Howard stepped up and became a much bigger part of their offense and a much more productive player. So maybe her numbers, maybe Stewart's numbers could be slightly lower. And the team could win just as much if Howard and Stuart can sort of meld together and manage to to each continue to produce at their top level rather than getting in each other's way.
3: Yeah, I'm um, I'm a little cautious. I just think that a year. I mean, it's going to be basically exactly a year almost when. Um, the first games happen right and I just think it takes time. Um I mean did you see her Richard looking vintage uh in belgrade
2: I mean though she as Megan was saying she was moving reasonably fluidly that's didn't look like it was a big problem. I mean she was uh, she wasn't going through the whole warm up that uh most of the squad did. She had sort of her own specialized warm up. You could see that she was special uh, Sort of focusing to make sure that the uh, the Achilles and everything was being prepared, and that she was stretching it out in her own specific way to get ready for the games. Um, but yeah, once once we were underway, she she moved okay. Yeah, um, I'm, it's always hard to to judge people in terms of these USA games where everyone's trying to feed everybody else and they're often playing against teams that are nowhere near their, their own standard but yet still trying to mesh with players that they don't practice with all the time. And, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a strange situation playing with Team USA.
1: Definitely kind of talking about Team USA and Richard you were actually in Belgrade for those games as well as the other um, Olympic qualifying games that were there any other reactions from Team USA or other countries that you wanted to talk about from what you saw in Belgrade?
2: You mean beyond the tears Um, (laughs) uh, well yeah I mean I was there primarily to watch Great Britain um, who sadly didn't manage to win a game and didn't therefore didn't qualify for the Olympics but I mean, probably the, uh, the most entertaining game was the final one of the weekend when all the qualification had been decided and Nigeria nearly managed to beat the US, which you'd, ho- you'd hope would put a scare into them about what might happen at the Olympics. But I'm not sure the US are ever actually going to pay much attention until they actually lose in the Olympics, which hasn't happened for quite a while now. Um, they still don't look... They don't look like a, a team a lot of the time. They still often just look like 12 of the top 25 players on the planet who happen to have been thrown together to play in the same uniform. Um, but they win anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's hard to, to worry too much about them. And I'm not sure when it comes down to it that anyone else is good enough to to punish them for it. But one of these days it'll happen because I mean Nigeria, who don't have, I mean who aren't in terms of player for player a team nearly as talented as as France, Spain, Australia, and on and on. It doesn't. You don't have to go up to the US, but they put a scare into them and. It took a fourth quarter comeback for the U.S. to be able to beat them.
1: Yeah, I noticed that seeing them play against UConn, that they just they don't look like a team. There's I mean, no reason they shouldn't have come into UConn and blown them out. And there's just like a definite disconnect on the floor. But the level of talent that's there, it's going to be hard, I think, still for anyone to challenge them. Because just even not playing well together, those individual players, always someone's going to be able to step up and kind of, make the difference to get the win. The talent, and then just the depth of the talent, too. Their bench is still insane.
3: Yeah, 12 of the top 25 helps, right? Uh, How did Balagon look for uh, Nigeria, right? She plays for Louisville, but um, left. um, I think one of Louisville's losses, right, was when she was out. Um, How did she look in FIBA?
2: Um, I mean, okay. She's basically the backup to Kalu, who was probably their most impressive player Mm -hmm. Um, they've got a lot of players the Nigerian team who've sort of been in the WNBA for about five minutes and then not hung around so we'll wait and see what happens with with Balogun when she graduates but I mean they've got uh, Aisha Mohamed uh, Adaru Alonu Akator who went number three in the draft and still only lasted a year uh, Victoria McCauley actually had a good game against the US especially early on and is playing at quite a high level in Europe they've, they've got some players but yeah I mean partly they, they qualify because they're the best team in Africa rather than one of the top 12 teams necessarily on earth Acha. Gotcha.
1: That makes for a nice segue to talking about college, but is there anything else you want to add from Belgrade before we jump there?
3: Yeah. Did you like see the women's team like at their hotel? Did you stay at the same hotel? Like what, what, you know, if we'd been hanging out with you that weekend, what would we have seen?
2: Um, no, I didn't actually see the teams at all wandering around the city. Um, they, they were presumably staying in much higher end places than, than I was hanging around in. Um, so, no, I mean, as far as sort of attendance at the games went and things, I mean, the place was nearly full. It's an arena that holds seven to 8,000, and for the Serbia games, it filled up, and then for every other game, it emptied out. So the uh, Team USA and everybody else doesn't have the same attraction once you uh, get Serbia out of the way. Um, it's, a, it's a country that loves basketball. And especially loves their own teams. But uh, when you put sort of Nigeria, Mozambique on the floor, they're they're less likely to show up.
3: Not exactly must-see TV, I guess.
2: Not not once you get down to those sorts of games, no. Mm.
3: Did you have any of the local food or anything like that?
2: Oh, absolutely, yes. I will put some of those pictures in the article that uh, I'll be getting together. Um, Yeah.
3: What are famous Serbian, or should be famous Serbian delicacies that I have not heard
2: of? <laughs> it's, I mean, most of it's meat, basically. Uh, <laughs> but lots of different kinds of meat from a sort of, uh, there's a thing called a uh, plie- uh, pliescovica, which is like a sort of a deluxe hamburger. Um, but... Uh, they, they also do their own sort of variations on all sorts of sausages. Um, yeah, but there's, there's a lot of, ni- lot of nice food as long as you're not a vegetarian or a vegan. I don't think they would get on very well.
3: <laughs> there's no California part of uh, Serbia or whatever?
4: <laughs> n-
2: n- no. No, I, th- I think you'd have to search quite hard. <laughs> nice.
3: Well, Megan, as our uh, resident Yukon uh, fan, um, you know, I think one more thing we should talk about is the uh, big South Carolina Yukon game. This was the first big, I guess, Yukon game you weren't able to go to since it was in uh, Columbia. Um, I was pretty excited uh, to see that they sold out. Mike Sullivan 08. Shout out to Mike on... Uh, Twitter was tweeting about the attendance and oh wait I lost it or no I'm sorry I scrolled down accidentally and um, you know he said they sold out with like 18,000 people were attendance and I thought that totally came through on television mm-hmm. um, and then we pointed out that 481,000 people actually watched that game on ESPN which was more than the NBA games that were on NBA TV or the uh, NHL game on NBC so we're trying to tweet that out a lot and just kind of emphasize the people There's plenty of interest of people watching it when they actually show it.
1: Yes. No, definitely. The crowd totally came through on TV as someone that was watching on TV. Um, It was loud in there, which was obviously great to see. Um, So, yeah, I think it was the biggest crowd on record for NCAA women's basketball so far this season. Um, Yeah, I think so. And I think South Carolina averages the highest anyway but that obviously adds to that high average of attendance that they boast normally so that was great to see
3: i saw debbie antonelli say i didn't know this but i guess dawn's daily like basically reached into her own wallet to start their marketing budget when she got hired
1: yeah i saw something on twitter about that and maybe it was latina robinson i forget who was tweeting about it but um yeah which is crazy um obviously she's built an incredible program with a lot of following there now so kind of glad to see that you know on Full display on Monday night on ESPN in that game.
3: Yeah, and it was pretty dicey for like a week there, right uh, in April, when there were like the transfers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to now have like the number one team in the country is uh, pretty impressive. Yes, definitely. Now, did you uh, were you disappointed, in it or do you attribute the the outcome of that game to South Carolina being great, to UConn being uh, not quite as great, or, or both?
1: I think both. So to me, I think there's just a clear and I think most people would agree with this at this point distinction between the top three teams in the country and then kind of everybody else with those top three being South Carolina, Baylor and Oregon. I mean, we've UConn, I think, is the only team that's played all three. So you've seen the same thing happen three times, which kind of adds to that um, narrative. But yeah, I think those three teams have just separated themselves as like three, the three like elite programs of this year. Which one is the best of those three? I think there's a lot of room for debate there. I'd put Oregon on top. Other people would probably go different ways. Um,
3: yeah, her but stats rating i believe has oregon on top right now which you know i can't decide if i think that's right or wrong to be honest but yeah. um it's the uh you know they've got a really good uh you know they play an incredible strength of schedules kelly graves tweeted mm-hmm. out recently and they've got the second highest margin of victory in the country so when you put those two together it kind of puts them on top remind me though did you watch the um Uh, Hidden Game or whatever over Thanksgiving break in the, was it Paradise Jam? I forget which tournament that they played. Mm -hmm. Lauren Cox was out. Did you watch that? I thought you purchased that package.
1: Yep, I did. I caved on the Flow Hoops.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Flow Hoops. Yeah, shout out to Flow Hoops. Um, You know, we are still looking for sponsors, so if you want to reach out, hit me up.
1: Um, Or if they just uh, don't want to charge me $50 to watch like two games over Thanksgiving, that'd be nice, but anyway.
3: (laughs) I was Well, it is a shame, right? I mean, it's a shame because it does, it's sort of the Tree falls in a forest. Does anybody? Yeah. Um, whatever. Um, but however that saying goes, I can't think of it right now. Mm-hmm. But um, one thing I actually one interesting fact is I guess South Carolina won that game by fifteen. I was talking to Brenda Van Langen the other day, um, the great broadcaster. Does a lot of uh, work. And she pointed out, which I didn't realize, I guess, to win that tournament, because if you remember, it was like there were two separate sides to it. Like they South Carolina actually, I think, had to win by 15 to be the official (laughs) champions of that tournament. So they kind of the implication is maybe they poured it on a little bit. But do you have any recollection from that? And do you think it applies to rank, you know, forget about Oregon and whether Oregon's better or worse than those teams? But just just for the head to head of South Carolina and Baylor, what do you think about that?
1: To me, no, not really. I mean, first of all, it was in November. We're now in mid-February. I think it's really hard to compare November to February teams, especially a team like South Carolina that's got so many freshmen. Like, there's obviously Mm. a huge difference between then and now. And then you have the fact that Baylor didn't have Lauren Cox, which is obviously a huge factor for them. Um, I mean, she's, you know, probably your number two draft pick, national player of the year candidate. So that's a big difference in a lot of what, cost Beller, and that one was just uh south carolina really dominating in the paint does that happen without with lauren cox on the floor it's probably a little bit different story um so i don't take too much from that head to head um uh, one i just think it was too long ago and then two i think that you know not having cox there makes a big difference
3: yeah, that was a big lesson, right? I think we talked about that last year because, uh, in particular, didn't Oregon kill Stanford in the regular season last year? And everyone's yep. like, oh. And then, you know, Stanford, you know, beat came them back and like... beat him. I think, the next game, right? So, yep. uh, you know, one thing I always say, right, is that, and you guys have probably heard me say this ad nauseum, is that, uh, you know, it's really only one data point and you can't really read too much in to the uh, head-to-head. I mean, it's an important data point, but, and most of the teams, uh, you know, have only played a handful of games against the top and really that's what counts. Um, but it is, uh, uh, yeah, I'm in the same camp as you. And really a lot of it has to do with how Lauren Cox is playing. Um, and you know, is she fully healthy and can she be Mm -hmm. in top, you know, performing like she did last year in the tournament? Exactly. You know, one crazy, one crazy stat, um, that I noticed when I was working on an article that I wrote in the athletic was I was looking at Baylor's schedule. I'm trying to bring it up here now. Like, oh, there it is. Um, And um, like, I believe that none of the big 12 teams are currently ranked. And so therefore I was sort of doing the math on it. And I think it is conceivable that uh, they will not play a top 25 team uh, Baylor until the really the sweet 16. And so I was like, trying to put that in a context at that point, 30, states will have had a caucus or a primary. Like that's how far away it is before they might face another top twenty-five team. So um, you know, they've had it they've, you know, at this point basically built their resume. I do think it's important whether they're winning close games or uh winning handily against some of the, you know, let's say the weaker part of the the Big Twelve, right? I I do think yeah. the margin of victory does matter. And I think that is a weakness of the RPI. But um, you know, it's gonna be interesting as they kind of tune up and you know really set themselves up to peak in really probably april they would say right
1: yeah i mean that's a super interesting stat and something to kind of keep an eye on because you know going into march you've got teams like oregon that's going to have played a grueling pac-12 schedule where they're seeing tons of ranked teams and then you've got south carolina just played uconn and they'll probably play mississippi state in the conference tournament and then they all got kentucky and probably a couple other teams in there that are ranked from the sec so not so much that it means that Baylor will get upset, but it's something to keep an eye on when they just haven't had to face that kind of competition in that long of a stretch, do they get a little rusty? Are they a little bit more prone to being upset than someone like, you know, Oregon that's seeing teams like that day in and day out. So the Sweet 16 is no different than their regular schedule. Yeah.
3: And then I also wonder if teams are going to get down on Oregon because like they lose one or two games, but like they still have to play <laughs> yeah. uh, a completely uh, ridiculous number of tough games between now, especially with the Pac-12 tournament. So yeah. um, I no. think we'll like, oh, or, you know, Baylor's won whatever yeah. in a row. It, it will turn out to be in Oregon. We'll like, you know, Lost the game, maybe even could reasonably lose in the semifinals in the Pac-12, mm-hmm. and there's no shame at all in that. Yeah, so,
1: I would um, agree. I think even if they lose, you know, one or even maybe two, depending who they lose them to, left in the Pac-12, there's right. still no reason they shouldn't be a number one seed. Quite frankly, I think if Oregon somehow manages to win out, they should be the number one overall seed. Um,
3: oh, definitely. definitely. So, I mean, I'm sure South Carolina and uh, Baylor will argue, but at th- that at that point, the resumes will just be.
1: Yeah, they'll just have um, so, so many statement wins. It would be yeah. ridiculous for them not to be the number Yeah, it's number a one. Good,
3: good opportunity to plug our uh, compare team resumes page. That's why we uh, do it that <laughs> way. So, you know, you can argue about what everybody's individual rank is, but as I always say, like, there's really not that many games. And so instead of having these summary numbers, like average margin of victory, like you can just say, like, these are the five games that, you know, South yeah. Carolina played and, you know, the eight games that Oregon played or you know, it's probably – 15 or something yeah. right? <laughs> uh, right and just kind of look at like you know they're typically beating the 10th best team wh- whoever you think the 10th or 11th best team in the country is by you know oregon's winning by more or winning by less whatever your data point happens to be so yeah. um yeah i'm excited about that so but, uh, uh, coming, oh, but? i wanted to
1: come back to you though because we, we kind of yes. went off on the top but didn't go back to that so yeah to me there's like right there's those three teams that are Distinguish themselves as the top three and then I don't see a large separation between four and ten I don't know if you guys feel similarly but I think there's kind of just it's like a two-tier situation going on right now and I think people are down on UConn because yeah they've lost three games by 15 18 points but they were two of right. those three teams um, the idea that UConn is bad like can you I can't stop from laughing. Like, come on. They lost three games to the three best teams in the country. They're still probably yeah. a number 2 seed, maybe a number 1 seed depending on how the rest of the season falls.
2: But yeah, it does lead to normal. it does lead to some interesting inter- some amusing interviews with Gino when people him yeah, yeah. yeah. that the that the sky is falling at Yukon because they <laughs> lost a couple of games to good teams.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know. I enjoy um, the ranting. Yes, I do too. I always enjoy genome <laughs> rants, but yeah, I found it pretty funny. What it was it? was like, we're allowed to lose a goddamn game every once in a while. I'm pretty sure it was um, that he said yeah. after the North Carolina
3: won. So. Yeah. It's hard to say that a number two seed is a bad season. Right. And I, yeah, I agree. Right. I mean, they really could be a number one seed at this point. Right. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Um, Cause right. I think right. Since like NC state has lost, am I making that up? Yeah,
1: the, they have NC State, I think, would be the favorite for that fourth number one at this point, but they've still got to play Louisville, and they've still got, I don't know what right. the rest of their ACC slate looks I like think off have, the top
3: of my head. I but, got to play Florida State, yeah, NC State, where's yeah. NC State? They, um, here it is, hold on a second. So, yeah, I, I definitely think UConn could totally, realistically end up with the number one seed. Um, yeah, they've got the Louisville game, oh, that's tonight, yeah, today's the 13th. <laughs> um, they don't have to play Florida State, though, again, so... They the
1: tournament, so... Yeah,
3: they could play both Florida State and, AC and uh, NC State. So, um, yeah, no, I'm sorry. My memory is not serving me correctly. So, yes, yeah, so NC State's probably in the driver's seat for the number one. Uh, fourth number one seed, but I agree. I think there's, like, five or six teams that could could, yeah. could definitely end up with that. And UConn,
4: absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, UConn's the think
1: one. I think they're at the point where they're relying on everyone else to lose, right? They should yeah. win out barring some kind of crazy circumstances they i think would be expected to win out um
3: and go undefeated in the not the hist- whatever the history of the american or yes. whatever right <laughs> yep. be amazing
1: yes definitely incredible um, yeah
3: but at the same time i mean it's quite clear they're not uh equipped to beat uh the top three teams it seems
1: yeah um, right now at least i will say that i don't know i still wouldn't even if they get sent somewhere where they have to play one of those three teams for the final four, I wouldn't want to have to have you in your bracket. I don't know. I think... Oh, is your two
3: seed if you're the one seed?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think, yes, they've shown that they couldn't finish any of those games, but if they can put all the pieces together for the tournament in the game, they've got a good shot to be anyone. I think we've seen every time that like the offense doesn't flow, you know, someone doesn't show up. If you get... Three of those good players to show up. Olivia Nelson-Neto gets a little bit better. They can threaten people.
3: I guess the challenge is though, right? So UConn. I'm looking at our tool now. So UConn's best win is against Nepal, right? So, mm-hmm. Um. So that's the question, right? Is like they're not one of the top three teams. They tend to you know blow out, which as I said is pretty important. You know the like twenty-five to Forty teams or whatever, and especially beyond, we don't really have a great data point on like how they do against the tenth best team in the country. And then Mississippi yeah. State and uh, these states, so I think it could totally go uh, either way.
1: Yeah, to me, what I see is that you know looking at the final scores of those games, Oregon I think was the only one that they never really felt in it. Um, with was it with Baylor? I mean, it was a four-point game until five minutes left, so.
3: Yeah, but you never also felt like they were... I mean, there was that one moment at the end of the first half, I think, where it felt like, ooh, they might do it on their home court. But uh, by and large, it kind of felt like... It wasn't put away by any stretch, but Taylor
1: was... Yeah, but they also shot, you know, 30% in that game. They all of a sudden don't yeah. shoot 30%. Um, and I, And I was going to say in South Carolina, the first quarter did them in, but they played tightly for the rest of the game, um, so... Yeah.
3: Well, they're, they're like one player away, I think. Right. That is yeah. probably not what they, you know, they need a better more. They need more in the interior. And so she could definitely okay. get better. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. if she, uh, you know, uh, we saw Leah Boston, you know, breaking out new tricks in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to uh, mm-hmm. our Calvin Wetzel for uh, tweeting out that nice clip of that. I hope people saw that, but um, you know, right. So if, if Gino's coaching her up and Chris Daly's coaching her up, you know, definitely there's an opportunity. They run those nice backdoor plays. So, and they'll have the confidence, uh, or you would think they would have just sort of the confidence in the name against some of the weaker teams. But I'm sure, you know, a lot, you know, the Pac 12 teams are, you know, everyone's looking their chops to try and get a win in now, especially before, um, you know, the new recruits arrive for next year.
1: Yeah, agreed. But I'm, I'm not going to bet against Juno in March. I don't think many people would. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: in April it hasn't uh,
2: paid off quite as well, of late Though, right? So, yeah. <laughs> oh, the but poor fans. Yeah, no, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I,
1: also, well, I'll stop my tangent, but yeah, that narrative as well. I mean, you're not supposed to win four championships in four ever four years. Like, that's not supposed to be the norm. I think it, No,
3: it, it is not. We definitely I need think, to acknowledge that, and I think we will it, as uh, yeah. the game as we get further away from it. And that's yeah, an indicator of the strength of the game, right? So,
1: right, agreed. But yeah, I think it's just a lot of the narrative that like you know, they're supposed to you know win a championship every year takes away from how incredible it is what you know Stewie and Morgan Tuck and Mariah Jefferson did in their
3: four Miami years. Maya Moore.
1: Maya yeah. Moore only won the. <laughs> I'm going to oh is that it? Only, yeah. Only yeah it's the it's the only
4: in there. That, yeah.
1: yeah. Only. That's the that's exactly the point though, right? They're not supposed to win <laughs> four in four years. Like that's yeah. should not be the expectation.
3: <laughs> You've been spoiled. You've been spoiled. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, so it's great. I'm definitely looking forward to it. It's um oh wait, I meant to look this up before we started, right? So you're probably gonna post this tonight. Uh, so, maybe people will listen to it starting on Friday the 14th. Mm-hmm. The Happy Valentine's Everyday, buddy, right? Everybody? So, one, two, three. I believe um, we're
1: five weeks from opening five, this weekend. Six.
3: Yeah, that sounds right. Five weeks, I think. It's pretty cool. The selection show is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, the selection uh, show is going to be on the 16th, I think, right? Hmm. And then the game start on the 20th. So, unbelievable. We know, um, looking forward to it. So, um, but there's gonna be a lot of great games on tonight. I probably need to run, make sure I uh get some dinner with my family and everybody else has some stuff to do. Richard, we have not figured out when uh you are unavailable. Everyone's always like, Well, you know, if he's in England, like, you know, is he really gonna be free to chat? And uh, it, it seems like you're always up, so really appreciate you hopping on today. <laughs> not a problem. Awesome, thank you
1: both for joining.
2: Thank
3: you,
4: thank
3: you.
1: Well, that's all for this episode. As always, if you like what you are hearing on the podcast, make sure to rate, subscribe, and like us wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you like the podcast, make sure you're checking out our articles over on Medium and then the stat site at herhustats.com. It's just $20 a year to describe for all your great NCAA women's basketball stats. Uh, we've got some great team compare tools out there as well, which are useful heading into March, talking about seating and conference tournaments and favorites to win the NCAA tournament. So definitely check that out. as always, thanks for listening. Whoa. Whoa.
4: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.